0: Welcome to the Cultured Chameleon Podcast. My name is Eugene. And my name is Lucas.
1: And this is a podcast that focuses on third culture kids and adults, mental health topics, and theological and philosophical topics as well. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Cultured Chameleon Podcast. Um, This time I think we have better video quality than what we had before. So figure things it. out still. <laughs> I like did we how we just. What a therapist thing to do. Are you uncomfortable?
0: It's like prepare for it. <laughs> Self soothing habits. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. So Capri is in England now. For those of you who listened last week to the podcast with Capri, she arrived. Yeah, last week. It's been a week now. So, thank you all for listening. It's probably one of the fastest growing episodes that we had like that. So, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, that was definitely awesome. So much good content there. Is she doing okay in England right now?
1: She's doing pretty well. She, um, She's on base and she's meeting all the other m Flax and... You know, getting situated in the the home environment and things like that, learning how to drive on the opposite side of the road.
0: Oh, it's man. a fun one. That's a that's a hard one, I think. So it's like one where there's there could be potentially a lot at stake <laughs> if you don't remember <laughs> this thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but she's having a good time. Good. It seems so far. So one weekend, fifty-one more to go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just count I'm counting down counting yeah. <laughs> down you you get to see her tentatively in march when's it when are you guys plan to go
1: oh uh, i think we're planning on going in may, may to kind of um go see the whole family and the whole german side of the family and to celebrate a wedding and to show caroline germany and yeah all those things oh, that'd so. be,
0: cool. be your first time there
1: her first time there yeah her first time in europe um, in general, so I'm excited to show her to see Dude, yeah, that's awesome. all the fun things. Um, but yeah, that's what's up with me. How about you?
0: Or the family, I guess. My family might come down in February. Really? Actually, they are going to come down in February. I don't know if they might. They will, <laughs> assuming, of course, all things keep on the trajectory that they are on. Um, so yeah, I get to see them.
1: Okay, that's great. Maybe. uh Like your parents and everybody and your brothers too, or just my parents, yeah,
0: just okay. my parents. My brothers are, will probably, although Raf, yeah, one of my brothers wants to go to to Disneyland, Disney World, so they want to drive down to <laughs> Florida sometime, so he might stop by.
1: Oh, okay, that's really nice. Yeah. Are you? Have you ever been to Disneyland or, Dis, or Disney World?
0: No, I've never gone to enjoy. It'd be fun to sometime to go. I've never have, been, so uh, I don't know.
1: I don't. I don't think, to be honest. And for all those who are Disney fans, it's uh, never been appealing to me to ever go. But maybe I'm just a cynical young <laughs> adult who doesn't want to do those things. So
0: I don't know. No, that's fine. It's not on my. I mean, I haven't gone because it wasn't a priority of mine. No, of course so not. So I don't. I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you. It's not like a must.
1: No, I don't, I don't really see it as a must, but yeah, who knows? But That's good to hear. So I could potentially, I get to meet your parents. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Potentially. Why do you want to meet them? I think it'd be nice to meet your parents. Yeah. Okay. You've met my parents for like four years. <laughs> <laughs> four, four years. Has it been that long? I think, so, yeah. Cause it's master's crazy. program was three and it's been, mm, yeah. It's been yeah, that's years.
0: true. Master's program was three crazy I know right yeah okay yeah it was suggested to me that you meet my parents and I was like okay oh I'm glad I'm glad you're showing interest in it
1: <laughs> good okay because I'm trying to think about what to the do. trust <laughs> I'm trying to
0: think about what, like how do I how do I spend time with them kind of thing but if you do want to yeah I can.
1: Yeah. be fine we should have them on
0: oh yeah we could You'd my mom sometime. I don't know.
1: It's up to them mm-hmm. though, of course. Um, so we have some pretty exciting news uh, for all the cultured chameleons who are listening out there in the big wide world. Um, we are starting our very own Patreon and that will be coming out next week, I believe. I think we're making a few more tweaks and, and things like that, but I don't know. I've been... I've been feeling pretty happy with all the stuff that we've been doing. This is going to be episode 21. So we're 21 episodes deep. um, And we haven't done any ads or anything like that. And I don't think we really want to do ads right now. No. Um, So Patreon was the next idea that was more of a, something that just seemed to suit us a bit better, I think. Um, But yeah, Eugene, what are your thoughts about the Patreon coming?
0: so i love the idea of patreon because i liked how i think one person put it was historically with artists it had patrons that supported their work because they appreciate their creativity and what it whatever it was that they're producing and creating so patreon is an is like an avenue to be able to do that and support us if you enjoy and appreciate our podcast and this allows us to do more and invest more also in terms of um, financial gain into our podcast produ- our podcast production. So it's something that we appreciate. Um, certainly we don't want it to be a must. We want the information to be disseminated still, even though we're not getting financial gain. It's something that we also enjoy, but for those who do appreciate what we're doing and would like to support, We just want that to be an option. So we have, yep, I think it's called the Cultured Chameleon on Patreon. Feel free to support us if you like. And we definitely would sincerely appreciate it for those who do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, um, that's out there for you guys uh, coming soon next week. Um, and thank you all for, for all those who've just listened and supported and sent in words of encouragement and, um, and for all the guests too, who have been on too, uh, they've also been really wonderful to have. Um, so that's kind of like, what's that word called? That's like our, our basics for the more, I don't know, our checklist for the beginning of this. I don't know what it's called there. So I, I've heard it. You, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind <laughs> that's of like, like our, our, our checklist tasks. for today.
0: Our, our housekeeping. Yes. The that's, housekeeping. The word, that's the word it is. That's what it is. Housekeeping.
1: Gosh. Okay. Yeah. Our housekeeping for today is done. I'm
0: thinking in terms of like administrative.
1: I have no idea. Well, it's just loss of words there for me. So, um, yeah, let's get into the meat of things today. Um, So we got a couple different things to talk about today. Um, One of them is going to be about parenting styles um, and maybe a little bit of discussion about how cultural values play into parenting styles as well. Um, And we'll get into that. Um, We also want to talk a little bit about attachment styles again to kind of bring that in because parenting styles and attachment styles um, have a bit of a correlation with each other. Um, and I guess in the broader topic overall is talking about, um, relationship hurt. Um, not necessarily meaning like your significant other, um, type of relationship or like a, like a, <laughs> like a heartbreak. Um, although that may kind of play into some attachment styles. Um, but more so between the parent and child and adolescent that type of relationship hurt that may happen from time to time. Well, all the time, I'll say. (laughs) I don't think I'll put it from time to time. (laughs) Otherwise, we wouldn't be having clients. Uh, um, But we wanted to talk about relationship hurt as like the overall topic Um, and a little bit about reconciliation and forgiveness as well because those can be very tricky, tricky words to navigate. It can have a lot of depth and meaning when people tell you you need to go and forgive someone or you need to forgive yourself. And it's like, well, how do I do that? Um, or how do I forgive other people who have hurt me um, in many ways or in a very deep way? And uh, and those aren't easy. Um, none of it is. And if you are someone who is going through a lot of you know relationship hurt, whether it's with parents or, or anything like that, definitely seek out a counselor. (laughs) We think it's a very good idea for you to do that. Um, but this is more giving an overview of how to think about it and some resources as well of how we can address it too and how we can deal with it.
0: Yeah, something, and I want to touch base on a conversation that I had based on our previous podcast, and this is also going to be an invitation. Uh, for those who do have questions, when things arise in our podcast and you'd like to know more about them, please feel free to reach out to us and you um, can email us or you can post about it. Um, one of my friends recently contacted me about that thing that Lucas brought up, it's eloquently hurt that happens between parent and child relationships. And some topics that came up had to do with questions related to, well, how do I heal from this? Um, How does this come about, especially in in situations and circumstances where parents might be very controlling and the child still, even though the child might be older now, might not be in any kind of physical danger around the parent or anything like that, but still experiences that sense of anxiety of maybe I'm still walking on eggshells and I don't feel that emotional safety around them. And how do you manage that anxiety and perhaps trauma or abuse that might have um, matriculated in that relationship? Hmm. So I I greatly appreciated that curiosity and that I yeah. had a lot to do with regards to why we're doing this podcast and the topic that we've chosen to discuss.
1: Yeah.
0: So I wanted to thank this person for being willing to share about that. It's not always easy to share about some of those things. And also, I appreciated the desire to have that healing in the relationship and be open about what's going on. And this is also again, an invitation for those who are curious about anything that we might talk about, Please feel free and welcomed to ask us and reach out about it.
1: Well said, well said. So what were some things that kind of stood out to you then um, from that specific question that your friend gave you um, in regards to maybe parenting style or attachment style?
0: I feel like when, when the question was asked, I was like flooded with like a bunch of different approaches and with regards to parenting and styles, something that also came up was the cultural aspect, which mm-hmm. I thought very interesting because this person comes from Asian descent and then how certain of those parenting styles might affect them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then I was also, another thing that I want to bring up to reinforce what Lucas said, another part of this healing is I feel like there's two parts to it. One is the healing that happens within the relationship. So maybe seeking counseling um, with the child and the parent and working through some of that hurt, as you mentioned. The other aspect is, well, if the parent is unwilling or if the child is unwilling to work on the hurt or wounds that have been created, how does the individual heal themselves, and navigate the relationship. Mm-hmm. So those are two things that came up. Yeah. And, yeah. And I know that you've, after bringing up this topic to you, you had a lot of good insights with, uh, uh with regards to parenting styles. What yeah, were some of the
1: So let's talk about parenting styles first, then. And we can also talk about some of the how to, do, how does a parent child heal, or who heals first or, or things like that. Um, so for, for parenting styles, um, I think it's a good way of thinking about and, and similarity to, um, attachment styles, um, and that you can see attachment styles all across the board, um, around the world with how people attach, um, to other people, how they, you know, form relationships with other people and, and how they view themselves as well internally, um, based on attachment styles, So parenting styles is not too far from attachment styles. And we kind of have four main parenting styles um, that are cited in literature all the time. Uh, You have authoritarian, you have authoritative, you have permissive or indulgent, um, and then you have uh, negligent or neglectful, I guess you could say. Um, Eugene actually had a great way of kind of thinking about the the different styles here as a bit of a kind of like a gradient, but kind of like a like an X Y axes um, image, which we don't have, of course. Yeah. But
0: it's like a it's like a a graph we can plot where you're on. So there's gradations in essence. Yes. With the top being. One way to put it would be, the top being high in warmth, so,
1: so it'd be the this would your
0: y-axis, yeah, Mm -hmm. your y-axis with the top being warmth, um, zero being neutral, and then the negatives being low, low warmth warmth or cold, and then your x-axis with the right side being high in warmth and the left side being, I mean, sorry, high in boundaries and limitations and then the other side being low in boundaries and limitations. Yes, yeah.
1: So that's one way of kind of thinking about it because you can plot it differently on the um, on the graph there. Um, so for uh, authoritarian parenting styles, well, let's start from <laughs> top to low, I guess. So <laughs> at least from what the literature says and, yeah. and that even varies too, so we can get into that. But so authoritative, authoritative parenting style, you can, Characterize that as um, high warmth or high acceptance and high boundaries um, or high demandingness so you you kind of have the the highest of both and that there's warmth and uh, love and, and nurturance and there's also boundaries and there can be some strictness as well um, but it's not a it's not like a physical corporal punishment type of rigidness or, or strictness. The, um, the authoritarian one is a little bit different. You have low warmth, low acceptance, and you have high boundaries, um, or high demandingness. So that can kind of be authoritarian parenting styles are usually categorized as like, um, <laughs> I was going to say like, quick, like, we don't care about you, but it, it, it lacks a lot of warmth and acceptance, mm it's not really about you. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, desired implication that, you know, this is the law. You follow these boundaries, do not stray from these boundaries and, uh, don't mess up.
0: (laughs) And to add some examples to that, that might look like your value and your worth is ascertained and your love from your parent, depending on how far along the great, the gradient you are, that might look like, oh, your love and acceptance is determined by your obedience to these rules, your ability to follow them, mm-hmm. the strict rigorous um, boundary that we've pl- um, set in place for you. Right. There might be low in understanding of why have these rules. With, I always mess with it. Authoritative. With the authoritative. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Lucas helps me remember these. <laughs> with authoritative, the good one, that's how my brain conceptualizes. It. With authoritative, that might look more like these are why we have these boundaries in place. And there's that sense of understanding from that, um, that comes from the relationship. So the child is explained some of these things and there's genuine understanding on the child's behalf. And there's a sense of the parent listening also to maybe how the child's feeling and that part is considered. Mm-hmm. So that's to add some flavor and some, yeah. No, that's really good actually, yeah, to these things, that's how that looks like. And there's, We'll get. I guess we'll end up getting to later. um That looks like the child being able to explore within certain limits and having that freedom to find themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's why Lucas tactfully also looked at attachment styles because of <laughs> those <laughs> correlate very greatly.
1: Yeah. So that's that's a good way of putting it. So then we have the bottom two. I don't want to call them bottom tier <laughs> i am just using really bad words here, but on the gradient um on the graph, we have um indulgent and permissive parenting style um and and that's best categorized as high acceptance, high warmth, and low boundaries or no boundaries um and so that's a great way of of thinking of of the parenting style as you know we, we love our child unconditionally, and we have a very, almost uh, democratic way of like, my child is, is a person who has thoughts and feelings, um, and has a say, and we respect their say, and we allow a lot of openness uh, to kind of be enjoyed um, by the child or adolescent. So there's less of the boundaries of you have to do this, and this is why, and this is the law, you know, things like that. Um, and more of just like a, an openness mixed with a lot of acceptance and love. Um, and then the bottom one on the graph here would be, uh, negligence, uh, which is low acceptance. I don't know what that was. What was that? Um, low acceptance and low boundaries. So there's, there's nothing there. There is no stability in the sense of here are the boundaries which you can learn how to navigate. Um, There's none of that. And then there's no acceptance. So there's no warmth, no positive regard. There's no love. It's cold, um, more calloused. And so that by far has been one of the parenting styles that is just um, broadly characterized as this, does not work. <laughs> this doesn't help at all. <laughs> uh, needs are um, not met. Nothing is being met here. Yeah.
0: Neglected. You might see this with parents that suffer with alcoholism. Yeah. I, the, chil- yeah. the child has learned to cope on its own mm-hmm. and difficulty ascribing any kind of self-worth and self-value. It's interesting, as you mentioned, some of these, the, some of these areas, I'm seeing some pros and cons. It's, it's like, also based on the conversation that we had a little before, because it also like the way you described, um, the one before this one, <laughs> the high warmth, low boundary one. Uh, permissive. Permissive. Cause on the one, like something that I heard about it, um, with regards to downside was the child might assume control over the parents, uh, child might not learn um, responsibility for their actions, because the parents just step in and fix it. Mm-hmm. But like kind of how you describe it seems to me, this is done in a certain way. It can be helpful for the child to really experience um, awareness and understanding of their emotions and being able to figure out their boundaries.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this is where it's interesting because there is literature out there on parent. There's a lot of literature out there on parenting styles (laughs) and cultural values. And we have not read everything, No, but from the bits and pieces that I have been able to read, you see a lot of difference across cultures, uh, cultures, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. So I guess one way to think about it is that um, in, in in the Western world, we'll just say America, because I think even in Europe it differs a little bit. But in, in, in America, the authoritative parenting style has been the one that is like, yeah, this one across the board is what most of us kind of assume. And even then, that differs a lot because in America we are very diverse um, and we have people from uh, different, well, we have racial diversity, ethnic diversity, um, we have state line diversity, we have a lot of diversity. Um, And so even parenting styles within like, um, um, like a a Hispanic family has, is characterized differently as well. And authoritative may not be the one that works best for them. and I, I remember this specifically, um, I'm forgetting her name. We had someone in our cohort who did. What? Gia. Yes. Was it Gia? Yes. 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 Gia. Hi, Gia. Uh, um, kind of did a, like a preliminary research, uh, not a research study, but it was looking at all of the research articles and research studies done out there on parenting styles and um, African-American families, um, which was very good because what she kind of figured out from that is that the kind of like the authoritative parenting style that may work for, let's say, white American families does not translate directly to African-American families. And their parenting styles might look a little bit different too, but not necessarily harmful just because research with one population says that authoritarian or permissive doesn't work
0: and that's something that i found interesting when i was looking into this before the podcast one suggestion that i read up on and heard about was an authoritarian style might be helpful in certain circumstances where there's a lot of danger so like depending on your environment you might need more strict rules and boundaries in place. So I feel like this speaks to what you just mentioned. It's like, mm-hmm. in certain contexts, like this parenting style might actually produce a lot of good results. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's something interesting that they added to it. Because, a, because on, on face value, there seems to be this implicit thing where authoritative is a champion. Yeah, view. And then they brought in this whole, well, maybe in this certain context, um, authoritative, authoritarian might be a little more beneficial, if you if your children need more boundaries, if they go outside, and there's more danger um, going around. Yeah. But these are some things that we've read about. Mm -hmm. If you guys have any thoughts on it, we're happy to hear about it. And then I guess I'll just bring it in in a cultural perspective. As a, as someone who's um, Asian, the literature suggests that sometimes the results are similar with regards to authoritative parenting styles and authoritarian parenting styles. The outcomes are similar. And I found that very interesting because I'm wondering if there's this um, implicit cultural understanding where the authoritative style, the coldness, sometimes can be a-
1: authoritarian.
0: Sorry authoritarian style can be understood, understood as the coldness can be understood um, as warmth in some, in some sense, in some of the expressions, it's like, um, having these rigid boundaries actually expresses a lot of warmth. And That's something that we we're discussing before this podcast, which yeah. I thought was pretty interesting. So this is another, I think the biggest reason why I want to bring this up is actually to have people think about these things. And think about how this might reflect in their life because i do know having spoke with uh, many people of asian descent and their thoughts on their parents there's sometimes that inner conflict of oh like the way that care is shown in the culture is a little different culturally and sometimes that's greatly appreciated and then when you're an adult um there's that really rich understanding of that. But sometimes it's also completely hated. And there's a lot of resentment Mm -hmm. that comes from it. Yeah.
1: That's very, it's very particular too, because it's, um, clearly not something that I've ever grown up with. (laughs) Um, based on your experiences, I mean, you have a lot more to kind of add into that. Um, where was i going with that um uh, yeah i was going with I, it's also the the perceived parenting style from the adolescent or the kid because your parents probably don't think about like oh i'm an authoritative parent or i'm an authoritarian yeah. parent um and this is my style uh, and this is what i do it's no one talks like that um but we do have cultural values that um, we've grown up in based on the culture. We do have um, parenting values and beliefs based on our upbringing and what we've seen. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into that too. And so I think it's very interesting that the the adolescent or the child is the one that may perceive the parenting style. And so that's very interesting because it's it's what you perceive and it may be correct, And it also may not be correct because the parent is like, oh, maybe they don't tricky then. Um, Would you like to share a little bit about your own experiences of perceived parenting style or or things like that or?
0: Yeah. Okay. If I have to be honest. That's why we like the gradation thing, because at certain, I think at certain points in the relationship and throughout my development, like each parent individually went on a different (laughs) side of the scale, right? (laughs) These things are mutable at times. Um, Definitely would have fallen, overall, if I had to make a general statement, would have been somewhere at times more authoritative authoritative and more authoritarian at other times. But I certainly think there was that desire for me to understand why these things were good for me um, and why these boundaries were in place. And I think something that I wish I kind of commented on more in our previous um, conversation about boundaries was, there's also, and to integrate this into a spiritual perspective, a lot of the boundaries that were given to me related a lot to like sin, which I thought was very healthy and why these things were bad for me. But at the same time, and I kind of have learned to appreciate this approach, there are some things and some boundaries that were given to me that were just, this is just wrong, we can figure it out later, but for now, like you can't do this, it's for your safety, even though you don't get it. And I think some of that had to do with, well, I don't know if I had the cognitive capacity to understand some of these things as a kid, Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand all the, the consequences of my actions yet. Um, so, I, I definitely think this might, like, how you address boundaries and whatnot, and how much the child understands some of these things, that changes as they grow older. And I think for me personally, there seemed to be how I, as you said, perceive. There was always seemed to be this, like, Freudian thing where my mom was really warm, my dad was really cold. <laughs> trying to push me into my discomfort my mom was trying to like give me that kind of like warmth yeah so growing up i've appreciated that dichotomy and actually hmm. i think Freud is a proponent of or the psychoanalytic and psychodynamic approaches That's a proponent proponent of that mm-hmm. like going out there in the worldness while like still being here and being safe So that was like my experience growing up as a kid, Mm -hmm. but.
1: So you kind of got the difference between, or at least from perceived, from your perception, like mom is warm, she will, she's like safe and and caring. And dad is uh, a little bit more distant, but
0: that is also kind of helpful too. In that yeah. sense emotionally anyway yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> like my mom's like more emotionally like right like go talk about that is like mm-hmm. he's there like if i have a we always talked about theology and philosophy together okay. so i've had those questions he was always available but dad was very much like this I'm is what we're explains. doing yeah. <laughs> i'm sticking to this and i'd be like no <laughs> <laughs> no we would be like no i don't know why we're doing this <laughs> and then they got to a certain point i think they must have gotten like a little frustrated because I think as a kid, I I was very inquisitive. I like to challenge thoughts. I, I loved to argue. It was my favorite thing. <laughs> and just because it's, it's interesting to me to explore ideas, I'm like, why? Like, I love asking why. And I guess why I end up taking philosophy. But anyway, yes, sure, you I draw them do. to a certain point, and then they have to be like, no, this like, is this what we're doing. have to lay down
1: thing. the boundary, like, this is what we're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah Please obey. <laughs> and I, yeah. But there's a sense in which like, I appreciated that of my father. It's like, he, at the same time was very like with difficult things, we had to move a lot and deal with difficult things. Like I learned helpful skills from him at the same time because of that. And he was definitely big on like making sure I get out of my comfort zone. I think that that helped me experience a lot in life. Mm
1: hmm. Oh yeah.
0: So that's how I ended up experiencing it. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't know, that was my, that's what I remember of it perspective. Not all of it was happy and there's some mm-hmm. grief. Oh, this is something that I wanted to bring up though. That I thought was interesting. I was, just, I was doing some reading about attachment styles and like parenting and whatnot. I think for me to answer your question though, it also ended up being, I grew up in a, in a tribe the African saying that it takes a tribe to grow, to raise a child. Mm -hmm. So I thought this perspective was interesting because it's also important for the child to learn healthy attachments with other adults as well. Hmm. And not it just being relegated to like your parents.
1: That's interesting. So you're saying that's something that you experienced?
0: I think because I had so many parents, (laughs) like (laughs) in boarding school, There were so many like parents, and then reflectively, I'm like, this is very interesting because it's like it takes the individual family nucleus out of just being an isolated family nucleus and like, oh, we're part of like a bigger family actually as well. And there's actually more support for the family than if we think of the family just, oh, we deal with this on our own. And I guess the thing that I think about is that idea of at the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're all part of like God's family. And when one part of the body suffers, like
1: then we all suffer.
0: Yeah, we should hopefully <laughs> not everybody. <laughs> it, we're like, because we study you and I end up studying so much about like individualist um, communities and cultures and collectivist cultures. Yeah. And not to not to be like, well, I guess what I'm saying is there's, there's interesting benefits of also understanding the individual as like part of a whole. And what I found interesting about this perspective was like the family is also a reflection of that. It's like how, what kind of support does the family have? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway.
1: That is, I mean, that's really interesting because it's um, like living here in, in America is not really like a... It's different from every state, that's for sure. Like, I've, I've seen that in being able to bike across half of America. It is very different in every state and in every little town. And, like, living here in Virginia, it's, uh, I would say that our family is, is very much like our own family. Like, we keep to ourselves a little bit um, and we try to integrate somewhat we don't really integrate in, with our neighbors though
0: i'm saying me well i'm just thinking you guys yeah, yeah but yeah, the, okay. i'm saying like we okay.
1: integrate but it's not like it's like we're integrated we're integrated into a community but it's not like i walk down the street to my neighbor and i say hi or how you do it things like that mm-hmm. so i'm i'm thinking here that it's also very different in every country and every state that you live in too based on like proximity based on cultural values based on how tiny how big you guys are and things like that so um i can definitely see that in in some areas and in other areas i'm like that doesn't work as well i think i don't know but then again i'm probably just thinking about it too narrowly
0: <laughs> yeah i mean if you were if you're living in a certain neighborhood i don't know you it it might be dangerous to have your kids like talking (laughs) to certain people right i think that makes sense i think that's fair yeah and valid to say yeah yeah (laughs) so definitely the environment with which you live in um might affect how you set those boundaries right right yeah i'm just like you said I, i think when you asked me that question i ended up reflecting on like, in a sense, I felt like kind of raised in the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, there were So like, if you're able to find that kind of community, and I I guess I'd say I'm blessed to have met all the people that I've met. I noticed I was able to learn a lot from these other adults, these other parents and like, like, because my parents would end up, we'd eat dinner with like different families. And I guess by textbook, Asian families are very collectivist. Like mm-hmm. that's how it's described. But it was kind of cool at the same time because my parents would go, we'd eat dinner with these different families, and I'd get to spend a lot of time with friends. And I don't know, I have a d- bunch of different experiences. So it wasn't necessarily with my neighbors. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like we, I wouldn't go next door and like be like, <laughs>
1: "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> but
0: in, in fact, my parents discouraged me from like because we lived in Venezuela for a good amount of time. Sometimes it was pretty dangerous, Mm -hmm. but being able to like find that community somehow, I thought was like pretty helpful. And anyway, this tied to some, some things that I was looking up before we did this podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, how did you perceive your parent um, Um, relationship with your parents? uh,
1: Authoritative is the one that always comes to mind. But it's definitely on like a gradient like a scale spectrum, um, because my my dad also set a lot of boundaries, uh, but he was also very open and very accepting of the things that we tried and the things that we did, and the ideas that we had, and, you know, my mom was kind of like the warm person, too. My mom was probably the one that I went to the most to talk to about emotions, and my dad was the one I went to when I had a really serious problem
0: <laughs> <laughs> really serious. Really problem. <laughs> serious like,
1: like we need to talk about this now
0: <laughs> um I feel like I could see your parents being I could see the I it, could see that happening it characterized, anyway. <laughs> it's still
1: the same in some ways uh, but it's not like my dad was emotionally distant he was very emotionally available and um expressive too um, like I saw my dad cry a lot and I saw him stressed out and I also saw him angry and also I'm very happy. And so I you just got the whole range of of ingo. Um <laughs> I also got the whole range of capri as well. So I would say for the most part it was very secure and authoritative, but there were also a lot of things like recognizing now as an adult that there were things of um Like I had a lot of, I didn't have a lot. I had a few serious contention points or issues with my dad um, from the past. And I never noticed, I I always noticed them. I always felt it. um, And I remember it vaguely. And uh, there was like a couple, five, say five, maybe four key moments in my life where we really sat down and had a very, very deep talk about those things. Um, Or we would, we got into like a yelling match and and really had it out. Um, And then it would quiet down and we'd have a serious talk about it. Um, So, you know, that told me a little later on is that I wasn't always completely secure with my father until later, like 2020. Is when I feel now I feel completely secure with him um, because we were able to have those uh, discussions, and it was characterized by a lot of acceptance and understanding from both of us. So, so that was that was healthy, <laughs> I think. I hope I think so because things have been good. Um, so yeah, so it, it's definitely it's it's changed over time because they're also human so they've also grown over time too so things have changed and i was the first born you were the firstborn. so i was a guinea pig so all the boundaries that they set with me also changed for my middle and my youngest sister too um and there's also the i'm the only guy and i have two sisters and the interactions between mom and dad between me and them are also very different um like my dad worries way more about my sisters than he does about me, but my mom will worry about me more than she does about my sisters. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know where that is where that comes from. I think that might even be very normal. I don't know to be honest. Um, but yeah, that that's a little bit about my parenting, upbringing, and um, attachment styles. So. So there's there's going to be relationship hurts um, regardless of what parenting style you grow up in. I, I think is kind of the, the thing to maybe take away from that. Because I I know for me, my relationship hurts were the things that I saw as a, as a really young kid growing up between my parents. I also know that when we moved from America to Germany the first time, that was kind of like a relationship hurt because it was like, I don't really have a say, so that's a little bit of like a, a indirect kind of hurt of yeah losing things in my life. Um, yeah, not having control over yeah, decision making. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of rec- I mean, there's a lot of understanding. I would say now, there's a lot of acceptance, and there's a lot of viewing all the positives and the benefits that have come out of that compared to the initial negative experience.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious if there's something or something that particular with that come to your mind, if I ask you, um, what did you find like helpful or healing in that?
1: Well, having those discussions, um, with my parents, with both of them, <clears throat> because, I mean, I can, I can talk about all the things that my family has, have all experienced that have been very hurtful and, and there's plenty, there's plenty to go around and it's different for me compared to my sisters. They have their own relationship hurts. Um, for me, my my biggest relationship hurt was always seeing my parents fight. Now, did they fight every day? No. But to me, it was a lot. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't like that. Um, so I'm a very avoidant, conflict avoidant person. <laughs> um, but there are many times as I got older into adolescence and then into like being a young adult is when I kind of different times where I I put my foot down, I guess as as a as a kid or as a young adult, I said I've had enough with you know this crap because it hurts me. I don't like to see it. It hurts us, um, and it happens so often. How do we address this? And that was always how we talked as a, as a family. It was like there's an there's an issue. We address it um and so i had a lot of those conversations i had a lot of those conversations with my dad too which were not always fun because i'm conflict avoidant i don't like having that conversation i don't want to talk about it but i have to talk about it um i think that's how some of the the biggest healing Parts in in my life between my father and I's relationship came about um, because we had those really heart to heart conversations, uh, and I let everything out too. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't very polite. It wasn't very respectful uh, in those ways. It was just me being me, and um, and he listened. I mean, he he. There's a few times where he was defensive, but there other times where he didn't say anything and he just listened and he acknowledged and that was what I needed. And that was good. So not everybody's experiences like that. And this was just very unique to mine. I think, um, cause I know some people, if they just let it all out, it would be like an all out battle. So <laughs> I don't think it's always the best idea. It's just what happened to my, my experience. And because I felt comfortable enough, I think, to do that too, so. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yes. And that's great that you brought up that discussion piece. That's something that I... Just having that relationship. Because my friend brought up that question. And then I was thinking about it and reading about it being able to discuss those things as evident, um, in your life was something that is mentioned to be very important and being able to work through that pain and grief.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think that's pretty awesome that you guys were able to progress through that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very difficult for people who have had those relationship hurts and I think those types of hurts can be very extensive too. Like you have your big categories, like you you have your abuse, you have your physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual abuse that does happen. Um, You also just have traumatic events that happen as well, either caused by parents or extended family or just the places that you end up at. They're very unexpected. I think that's the idea behind a traumatic event. Um, And then you have your more like your, like your minor relationship hurts compared to those at least. It's like, it's like for me, like the minor one, I don't know if you would even consider it traumatic. Maybe some people probably say yes, but like moving from Texas to Berlin was a hurt that had to be resolved over time. And it was a major one, but in the grand scheme of the things I've experienced, it's a very minor one too. Um, and so you, you, I think you have a lot of minor hurts that happen. Um, and that can also compound into like a bigger snowball effect where it just keeps, like it's continuous. It never ends, never stops, nothing changes. And that can be really, really frustrating when like the patterns of behavior or how we like to say like the dance between two people or two individuals continues and nothing, The dance never changes. It's the same
0: thing every time. That's the hard part. Cause he takes a lot of awareness to get out of that. Yeah. I end up doing the same thing. <laughs> usually, usually the, the dance kind of, well, I feel like sometimes the dance can look like, if I can just explain this thing better and be like more logical about it, then they'll understand. And then you end up falling in the same ditch kind of thing. It's takes a lot of awareness to. Do something different with that communication pattern. Yeah, it sure and, does. And fight against some of those instincts. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's possible. It's hope. <laughs> hope. to do that, to do that dance.
1: Yeah. I think one of the, I think one of the, the maybe theories that kind of helps conceptualize it, especially between people who are, um, we're in some type of really close relationship is emotion-focused therapy. Yeah. Um, because that it focuses on emotions. <laughs> and. Um, yeah. And it, how? You, mm, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. You go. You go. <laughs> it It focuses on emotions and being able to like label some of the. Um, being able to label some of like the deep-seated emotions that are affecting your thoughts and your behavior in the dance that you're doing with your partner or with your father or whatever you know any any relationship bond um and for both people to recognize kind of those deep seated emotions that keep coming up whether it's fear of rejection or just feeling unworthy or um fear in itself of like what future might, like being abandoned, I guess rejection and abandonment
0: are the same thing, but those are the
1: ones that kind of come to mind. It's the ones I've heard at least.
0: That's good. And, um, one thing I want to hone in on with regards to this and also in response to, um, the questions I was asked, something that, um, is going to be very helpful is understanding that grief. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, even scripture talks about God understanding our grief and being able to, like, sit with that and not be avoidant. I have that proclivity anyway. And I think especially with, I speak to the male population, there's that that tendency to not want to feel, dissociate from that and then (laughs) not recognize it as a result. And and to do this dance part and parcel, being able to do that is having that awareness of, how do these things make me feel? i like, what does that hurt? What does that tell me? And usually, based on my experience, talking to clients and my own self-reflection, it's kind of like, I guess the analogy that comes to mind right now is like, it's like an iceberg. Sometimes at the top we have anger or whatever, but there's like a whole concatenation of emotions that tie in below that. And there's a lot more uh, below that. So something that on many accounts that I've, based on my experience, what I've read in literature, like understanding that emotion and being able to interact with that authentically is going to be very helpful as well. And I think that's a big step with regards to like, how do I do this dance also? How do these things affect me? So I encourage like like, part of this healing process also looks like understanding that grief intimately and being able to sit with it and not, just being avoidant of it because then you yourself are also doing that same dance with your emotions yeah and then you find yourself in this place yeah so i encourage and this might sound weird but this was helpful for me anyway like looking at feelings wheels <laughs> feelings wheels. <laughs> and there's like a whole bunch of different metrics but the idea is like we talked about labeling like what is it this thing that's that i'm feeling what am i thinking associated with that right um and if your dance with your emotions. That's how I'm gonna say it looks like you're never looking at that, never thinking about it. And then the emotions come up in a way that you don't want. Maybe a different way to do that is looking at it, being in touch with it and seeing where that goes. Yeah. Being able to authentically ascribe. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, we had a guest speaker in couples class come in. I thought one thing that, sh- that this person said that was interesting was like do something different <laughs> and then see what happens because like, when, when you when you try so many different things in a relationship it's like do something different and then see what happens like yeah maybe like if your instinct is to like withdraw on that relationship and not say anything so let's say there's like a i guess i'll, I'll we're using this analogy that I sometimes used with couples but also is good in general with relationships. Let's say you're having this interaction um, with your parent. You go to their house, you feel anxious, and you don't communicate anything because that's what you've learned to do. Your opinion doesn't matter, so you guys are doing this dance. Parent tells you what to do, you feel anxious around them because you don't want to say something wrong um, that'll get you in trouble or or affect um, your self-worth. If there's abuse, maybe feeling like you might be hit or something. Um, But now let's say the relationship's a little different. If you never, and then so you go in there with certain thought patterns as well. Like, oh, my parents are thinking this, like this is gonna happen and whatnot. If this interaction continues, like how you feel about it likely will continue as well. And then something that I thought was insightful um, I think it was Towns um, forget his name Townsend I forget his first name but yeah Dr. Townsend was talking about was like if you go into that relationship and then you're just like assuming that this person um, is thinking these things and then that you're supposed to be a certain way and you never invite them into discussion about how you actually might feel about something and give them an opportunity to maybe change those things that relationship pattern is going to stay very similar, likely. So something else that is suggested with regards to the healing processes. Well, and this is what I mentioned earlier. It's like, can you have that with this, this other individual where they want to also acknowledge um, what's going on in the relationship and reconcile that with you? And that's gonna involve you guys both expressing how you feel about um, certain things and certain hurts and addressing that. Yeah.
1: I think maybe the the biggest caveat caveat, caveat, caveat with this, um, or maybe obstacle even is that it's it takes two to tango. Yeah. And if you are willing, if you have done the work, if you've been to therapy and uh you you have a, a pretty good grip of like, this is what happened to me, you know, I've had these thoughts and beliefs, this is how I feel every time I enter that interaction. Um, and I want to change it and you're able to change it. That's great. And that's awesome because you've done that work for yourself, but it doesn't mean that the other person has, or the other person will. And, and this is kind of gets even into maybe some more pain, more relationship hurt, because this is the other side of things. I, I think most people experience is, um, It's like the one person who's been hurt does all the work and then the other person never changes. And uh, I can feel, I mean, that can kind of bring on again some of that anxiety and some of those holding on to that, um, maybe some resentment too, you know, holding on to that resentment Mm -hmm. towards the other person, um, which isn't going to be beneficial to you, not to them. They don't care. (laughs) It's just going to be not a great time for you. Um, That's something to recognize. It doesn't mean that you can't have that conversation with them, but it's also recognizing with some hint of reality that this is going to be a really hard conversation for them to have because they haven't done the work. And how do you begin to explain to someone, well, you just have to label your emotion that has taken you a long time just to get to. It's not an easy process is is what I guess. That's what I'm saying. It's not an easy process. And it takes two to tango, meaning both have to come to the table willing to work on that. And that doesn't always happen. But when it does, hold on to that. Uh, Even if it's very bumpy in the beginning, because it's going to be bumpy. No one's good at it in the beginning. But the more you do it, the better you work at it the better the relationship can become. And I think that is very hopeful, hope-filling at least. Um, But yeah, I think that's a caveat that has to be addressed because not everybody gets... I I think most people have that experience where they do the work um, and then it's figuring out how do I bring the other person in to
0: participate. That part ultimately comes, has to be a two-way recognition. I guess before getting it, and I guess that's one, that's one reason why we talked about reconciliation. But before before doing that, I wanna address, that's why sometimes we have boundaries. Yeah. Like if say you have, like say your parent was abusive, and and it's it's not a good, healthy thing to be in that relationship. Maybe you're willing and you care a lot about it, but and those are great things to care about. Um, desiring to have healing in your relationship with your parents, very precious relationship, in my opinion. Mm. But there may be some in- instances where where it can produce more harm and more hurt, and I I'd suggest. Um, not wise to do and that's where having some of these boundaries come in i think dr townsend brings up some good ones one of them he has a 10 he has 10 laws of um a so that's something that you can look up online um if you want to be more informed about that one of them is i'm at the end of the day i'm responsible for me and they're responsible for them i can't like forcing them and trying to be manipulative with someone that can be a Healthy. they have to come to that recognition themselves and understanding your values and and seeing some because sometimes these and sometimes not having that boundary is gonna I'd even say encourage certain pathologies especially if it's not unlikely that if you do have an abusive parent some that come to mind or it's not unlikely um that they could be narcissistic, a borderline personality disorder. Or if it's something more mild, this could be trauma related or um, anxiety related. Trauma is mild. No, 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 no I know. Mean it's just like. Saying. I meant the anxiety yeah. portion. <clears throat> that can be, that those things can contribute to what's going on. Um, and especially with borderline personality disorder when it comes to certain relationships, um, there's going to be difficulty with impulse control and managing certain relationships. And the child can be used sometimes as a coping tool um, for managing the distress and on a milder note, like same with anxiety as well. Children can sometimes be used as tools for managing and self-soothing for parents as well, which I find very interesting. interesting. So sometimes enabling, or if you have like a narcissistic parent, um children might be used as like trophies and other forms of feeding into that pathology yeah so all this to say sometimes i think setting those boundaries can actually be a great thing i know especially with some people that i've worked with like that that's going to be helpful towards the parent like for the parent and their health as well Mm -hmm. not always engaging as a parent once and on their terms, but also on your terms as needed. I know it's one thing that comes to mind is um, like OCD, like let's say you had a parent with OCD and then part of the pathology had to do with like coming to you to discuss this distress. Well, part of what's actually helpful with uh, that OCD is actually not addressing it because you're kind of, you're feeding into this, um, compulsion of returning to that behavior to self-soothe. So it's better actually not to do the compulsion to eventually like sit with the distress. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. it takes time, (laughs) a little bit of time, but I think the overall note is that boundaries are going to be really beneficial for you in the case that the um the issues or the pathologies with the parent are affecting you and you've done your work and you've you've recognized and done all the things that you can do um it's just having that discussion isn't really happening or helping and so the next step is i need to put these boundaries in place in order to protect myself maybe even have the boundaries beforehand before you have a discussion too that would probably be helpful um but boundaries are going to be there to kind of yeah Give you that buffer so that you're not emotionally mentally overwhelmed by the the things that you experience too so boundaries are good if you want more (laughs) knowledge about that we have a podcast episode on boundaries you can go to two parts you can go see that or listen to that
0: um and i and i do want to say if if all is happening with your parents is really traumatic i encourage like listeners to see see a clinician there's emdr work yeah That can help with like trauma especially with physical and emotional abuse um so if you experience that a lot of that's going to do with that's going to be reprocessing um with yourself as well and being able to process through the past hurts. yeah and some of that looks like with the mdr work anyway being able to have one foot in the past with the trauma experienced, in one foot in the present, mm-hmm. and being able to, kind of like exposure therapy, I'd say, with some <laughs> cognitive aspects <laughs> that you're addressing in That's there, it's pretty good. Briefly, before we sign off, I just want to allude to the thing that we talked about before with regards to reconciliation. Um, something that I find very insightful scripturally is our ability to forgive is God tells us to forgive and sometimes it seems like, why should I give, forgive this person? Um, and then there's that other message, well, I forgive you, so I have to. I've, but on top of this, I'd like to say literature supports that. Um, this is God caring for you and really asking for you to do something that's beneficial for us. Sometimes this anger and resentment can lead to more hurt for the individual. And something that we talked about briefly is forgiveness is not equivocal to reconciliation. Something that I find interesting is in the Bible anyway, for us to be reconciled with the relationship with God, we have to repent. So as we've mentioned, it does take two to tango if we really want to build this relationship. Mm -hmm.
1: So forgiveness and repentance can be seen as two aspects for two individuals. Forgiveness for the person who has been hurt, towards the perpetrator based on literature helps you not sit with those resentments, thoughts, or feelings, um, and maybe more beneficial for you. But then the perpetrator, the person who has caused the hurt has that job of repenting for that reconciliation. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So thank you all for listening to this podcast. Um, We've enjoyed talking about all these different topics here. Um, For the, uh, the Patreon, we're going to be doing uh, a 30 minute, uh, extra segment after each podcast episode where we kind of, um, talk about the episode and maybe dive into some more detail and specifics about uh, certain aspects that we found interesting. Um, and so if you want to listen to that, you can obviously visit the Patreon and and see which one that falls into. Uh, if you want to get some extra additional 30 minutes of diving into some of the topics that we just talked about today. So thank you all for, for listening and, Eugene, have anything,
0: to add? I Hope you tune in and gain access to what we're about to talk about next on the extra little bit. Yeah. And thank you, thank you for those who do want to just dis- to support us. We greatly appreciate it. Um, and I hope some of this was helpful or insightful. And if you have any thoughts about it, please feel free to reach out. You can always email us at theculturechameleon at gmail dot com, and we're happy to know your thoughts. Some of these things we put there. Um, not as the end-all be-all this is how things are and this is the only way it has to be and but to really help think about the relationships that you have um, why I bring these things up is in hopes that you guys do find healing for yourselves and with each other that you can have that connection and some of the things that we just talked that we talked about are to help think about that and hopefully encourage you guys to do more research and thinking on your own um, and and again if if some of these things you feel really hurt you I, I greatly encourage you to reach out to a clinician that's why we do this work I think we believe in it um, because there's a lot of hope and the healing can be really beautiful and life transforming and edifying to your relationship so, Yeah. Thank you for listening and giving your time to it. Tschüss.